somewhere from about 25 until chapter 2 verse 6 um, and it speaks a lot about how you know there's this mystery um, that was only revealed to us and this mystery is Christ in us the hope of glory and Basically, that all wisdom and knowledge comes through having Christ in you. And I'm not going to speak about that. I am going to zoom in on one verse in that section that stood out to me. And I'm going to focus all my attention tonight on that. And that's uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 28. It says... Him, being Jesus, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So, for those of you who are looking at the verse, hopefully it's all of you, I just want to check how many of you have the word warning every man by a show of hands in that verse okay and how many of you have admonish only one what are the rest of you have Deanna what do you have <laughs> sorry uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 Him we preach, and then the next word. Yeah. yeah. Admonishing. Admonishing. Okay. So does anyone have anything different to warn, warning, admonish, or admonishing? Okay. Great. All right. So, um, I'm gonna give some definitions of some of the words in the scripture. And then we're going to dive into what the scripture means as a whole and how to apply it. So whether your version says warning or admonishing, they're synonyms for what this Greek word means. Some other synonyms are to caution, to reprove gently. Um, sometimes some people might use the word rebuke, but... Um, if you look into it, uh, the root word of it, uh, it comes from a sense of mildly rebuking. So rebuking is a more intense form of admonishing. Admonishing is a little more gentler, but it's still in the same category as rebuking. Um, teaching, I think that one's pretty obvious, so I'm not going to go into that. And then... At the end, it says that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Uh, show of hands, who has perfect? The word perfect in there. All right. Who has mature? Okay. So, also basically kind of meaning the same thing. It means to bring to completeness, um, to get to the end of a process. So, 
as you are growing in your faith, you are maturing, you are perfecting your faith, you're becoming more like Christ. And so if we take this scripture as a whole, it's saying to us that Paul says he warns or admonishes every man and teaches them so that those people may one day be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. So in plain English, in order for us to mature in our faith, we need to be admonished and we need to be taught. I'm going to go through what those two things look like in your life because this is a calling to each of us. We're not only supposed to receive that, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to admonish um, and to teach others. It's not a, the way it's spoken of here and in many other verses, this is not speaking about teaching as a role that someone has. It's not someone whose calling is to be a teacher or who regularly like divides the word of truth and sets up sermons and series and books. This is a general way of life teaching as you disciple people, which is something that we're all called to do. Now, for most of us, the teaching part, although it may be a little bit intimidating for newer believers who don't really feel like they may know enough, it's simple in what it asks us to do. What I think is not so simple is the admonish part. Because admonish has the sense of, I have to caution someone. I have to mildly rebuke them. Which means I have to tell them when they're doing something wrong. I have to call out sin in their life. And that is not as simple as teaching. Almost everyone is okay with receiving some teaching in their lives. Not a lot of people are okay with hearing correction. It's also not easy for us to always give that correction. So I'm going to spend most of my time on, on admonish, um, which I may interchange with the word rebuke. And if I do say that, just know in this context right now, I mean admonish, which is a mild, lighter rebuke. Um, so first we're going to address when you should rebuke or admonish someone. When? Now I have, I have them all numbered out, so we're going to go through them one by one, okay? The first point of when you should rebuke someone. First thing you have to do is you have to check your own heart. You have to look at yourself and say, do I truly love the person that I'm about to correct? Um, can someone get us 1 Corinthians 16... Verse 14. Put up your hand if you're going to read it for us. Alyssa. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14. You're muted. 16, 14? Yeah. Let all that you do be done in love. All right. 
everything that we do has to be done in love. So that includes rebuking or admonishing or correcting someone. We need to check our hearts and ask us, ourselves, do we really love this person? Or do we want to correct them because of pride? Because we think that we're better or we know more or we want to look good in comparison to how terrible they are in whatever area we're rebuking. Are we doing it out of anger? That, that this person's sin has angered us in an in a unrighteous type of way, an unrighteous anger. And so we want to rebuke them or admonish them because we're angry. Are we doing it out of malice? Are we doing it out of jealousy? Are we doing it out of a selfish attitude? Oh, I know if I rebuke this person's sin and they listen, I'll get something out of it. You might not be getting it from that person, but oh, maybe if someone sees that I'm this righteous person who's rebuked this person, they'll think highly of me. So first you got to check your heart. What is in your heart? Do you love this person? Second thing you need to check. You need to check that you're not being hypocritical. We're going to read uh, two pieces of scripture. Uh, Jermichael, can you read 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27? And then I will be reading Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. Jermichael, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Whenever you're ready. So he's talking about bringing his body into subjection, lest when he preaches, he himself becomes disqualified. What that basically means is, we all know Paul went around preaching, telling people what to do, how to live their Christian lives. He constantly answered questions, but he knew that he himself had to live by example because he would be disqualified, disqualifying himself with his own words if he wasn't living out what he was preaching. I'm going to read a famous passage of scripture now from Matthew 7, verse 3 to 4. This is Jesus speaking. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let, let me remove, sorry guys, <laughs> let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here Jesus is saying we very easily see the faults and the sins in others, but we need to be careful that we aren't guilty of the same thing ourselves. Now, there's some points I want to make here. If you have to wait until you are absolutely perfect and sinless before you can admonish anyone, none of us would ever admonish anyone in anything. But there are two things you have to take note of. One, you cannot be living in continual sin. You cannot be living a lifestyle of sin and then have the right to come and rebuke someone else's sin. You can make mistakes. You can have areas that you're still struggling with and trying to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But you can't be a person who's living a life of sin. But you can be dealing with sin. Second point is, whatever is the sin that you're rebuking in the other person, make sure that specific sin you are not guilty of. So if I go to Jermichael and I notice he has a lot of anger, like a lot, and he's just taking it out on everyone, and I come to him and I satisfy all these other conditions on my list um, that I'm still getting to, and I myself don't deal with this sin of anger, I can come to him and I can admonish him and point out anger in his life. But if Alyssa is dealing with lust, and I'm dealing with lust, until I've dealt with it in my own life, I do not have the right to speak about it in her life. That doesn't mean I'm blind to what she's doing. That doesn't mean I can't pray for her during that season. And there might even be random exceptions where you might, in that circumstance, bring that to someone else who can then address it with her. But you yourself, until you have dealt with, as Jesus puts it, the plank in your own eye, you can't go to that person about the exact same sin that you're dealing with. I want to point out something in that piece of scripture that's often missed. I know people love to quote this and say, don't judge. Because um, it starts off in uh, verse 1. We didn't read it, but it says, judge not that you be not judged. And then they go and say, you know, take the plank out your own eye. But if you read further, Jesus was never against us taking the speck out our brother's eye. He just says to make sure that you don't have it first in your own eye. Because he says, um, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So once you've dealt with that yourself and you're not guilty of the same sin, you will be able to see clearly and be able to help someone else who's dealing with it. So Jesus is not against us coming to a person and pointing out sin, but we need to make sure that we're not being hypocritical about it. Right, so point one, look at your heart. Point two, make sure that you're not a hypocrite. Point three, ask yourself, would you be willing to have someone rebuke you in the same way? And this is based on the scripture that says, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. So think about what you're going to say. Think about how you're going to say it. And ask yourself, if someone else had to come to me at the same time, with the same tone, addressing the specific thing, would I have received it well? And if you can say yes, then you've passed point number three. Point number four, do I have a relationship with this person that allows me to speak into their life? Now, this one is a little bit tricky as well, because you cannot be best friends with every single person you meet. And if we can only admonish those that we are in a very intimate relationship with, again, that limits us very much. But you have to be careful that you're not going to someone completely 
<clears throat> sorry, completely random and you've never had a conversation with this person in your life and you want to point out sin that you've noticed. Even if it's the truth, that person is very unlikely to receive that truth from you because they don't know you. They don't know your intentions. And to them, you're this random person who's just coming and airing their dirty laundry. However, if you at least have some type of relationship with that person, you then use the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives you to know whether or not you have established enough of a connection to point something out. I would also say the intensity of the sin should be proportional to the relationship you have. So if I'm pointing out complaining, right? Someone has constantly complains and that's something they should work on. I probably don't have to have a really deep relationship with them. But if I'm pointing out to someone that, you know, they, their marriage relationship is uh, full of strife and anger and fighting and like they're not being, the wife is not being submissive to her husband. Like now we're talking about a very sensitive sin where it's probably better that I have a little bit of a stronger relationship with this person before I point it out. Also, you have to take into account your, uh, your calling and your position. Obviously, Pastor Adam doesn't need to have a deep, intimate relationship with me as a member of his church to be able to come and point out sin. But I cannot go and point out sin in Pastor Adam's life unless he has allowed me to have a, a relationship with him where he allows that kind of um, mutual admonishing and, and exhorting to go on. But as a teacher in my own capacity, with all of you, I have a little bit more right to speak than I do to someone in Cassie and Andrew Hall's group, for example, because I've established just a little bit of relationship with each of you. But Jermichael has made way more right to speak into Alyssa's life than I do. So this is where wisdom comes in. You have to have some type of relationship with the person, but I can't give you a scale and say, at this level, you're okay. You have to use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and determine whether you're in a type of relationship where you can bring that up. Now, what do you do if you aren't in a close enough relationship with this person, but um, you do see this sin? This would be a good time for you to, you again have to use wisdom, but if possible, if you know someone who is close to them and is a spiritual person, and I use that word the way Paul uses it. So this is a mature believer in Christ. You've seen godliness in their own life. You can go to them. And remember, you have to check all the other marks. Is your heart right? Are you doing it out of love? Are you being hypocritical? But you can then go to this other person and say, I've notice something about this person and I know that you're in a deep relationship with them and I've prayed about it and I know I don't have the right to speak into their life but I wanted to bring it up to you and ask if you would maybe pray and see if the Lord lays it on your, your heart to bring it up. You have to be again very wise. This is not an opportunity to gossip. This is not you going to just tell someone 
because you want to spread a rumor or uh, blacken someone's name. That's why I say the other steps all have to be in place. Is your heart right? Do you really love the person that you want to correct? If you do, and you feel led by the Holy Spirit to find another person that's close to them to correct them, then do so. Um, I have had this type of thing happen um, with uh, friends that are married, and I might be close to the wife, but I'm not close to the husband, but I notice something, and then I will bring it up to the wife and say, I've noticed this thing pray about it and perhaps if you feel led bring it up to your husband but I didn't have the type of relationship with the husband that would give me that right to speak to him I will also say on that there are certain types of sin that just come better from the same gender um, I've also been in situations this is back in South Africa where we had a person in our Bible study who um, a lot of the girls felt really uncomfortable about like he just gave off a very weird vibe that made us all very uncomfortable I won't go in detail because it doesn't matter but we didn't feel like it should be addressed by a girl because we knew whether or not it was true about him it wasn't going to be nice to hear and it would be worse if a girl told him and so we went to the youth pastor and we asked him if he would bring it up and so he took the man aside and he said it to him. And although it was still not nice to hear, it was much more comfortable coming from an older male figure than if a younger girl had to come and bring it up. So use wisdom. If that person doesn't have someone close to them that's spiritual that can bring it up, again, pray and use wisdom. But if the sin is bad enough, you can go to a person in leadership in the church and bring it up. But like, don't be going to Pastor Adam every time you see someone do something. Like, give people grace. I'm talking about if you had to see someone in leadership that's cheating on his wife and you saw it happen. Like, that's something that you would then go to Pastor Adam and say, Hey, I saw so-and-so's wife with so-and-so and I saw it with my own eyes. Like, I'm concerned. Then that makes sense. But if you're like, Pastor... Alyssa complained and gossiped about so-and-so on Sunday. Like, just pray for the person. Like, it's not necessary to go to people in leadership with every small thing. But if it's big enough and you feel led by the Holy Spirit, do it. All right, so look at your heart. Make sure you're not a hypocrite. Ask yourself if you are okay with being approached in the same way about the same thing. Ask yourself if you have a relationship with the person. Number five, ask yourself... Is this truly a sin or just an act of immaturity or preference on the other person's part or even on your part? There are some things that are not necessarily inherently sinful, but we disagree with other people about. And that's not necessarily something that needs to be addressed. That's just a difference. Um, is someone trying to say something? Yeah, like if somebody uses their left hand to cut steak with a butter knife instead of the right hand. Okay. I would say something that's more obviously could be misconstrued as sinful. Um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8, they speak about um, 
more immature believers who are confused over whether they're allowed to eat meat offered to idols. And Paul is saying to the more mature believers, you know, you know what's the right thing to do, but for the sake of the immature believer, since this is not like a real sin issue, like just just do the thing that makes the immature believer less confused and doesn't defile their conscience. So if it's a situation like that, if it's a thing that's not inherently sinful, but you know that they probably should change it, at least in your opinion, again, that's not really something that you need to bring up. If you have a relationship with that person, you walking a road with them, sharing your life with them, that thing will probably naturally come up at some point in conversation. And that person will be able to talk to you about it and then you'll share your viewpoint and you may win them over to your side or not. But that's not something that really needs to be admonished. That is a a walk thing. That's something that a person needs to work out with Jesus on their own. Um, Number six, do I understand scripture well enough to know how and why this person is violating it? So violating it being violating scripture. So basically, it almost links to number five in that, are you sure this is really a sin? Are you sure why it's a sin? Because if this person has to argue back, do you know scripture well enough to be able to say, brother, like, here it is. Like, this is not me. This is what the word says about this issue. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Now, again, um, I don't want people to feel scared like, well, I don't know the Bible well enough, so I'm not going to bring up anything. No one is saying you have to know the whole Bible. But if you notice someone sinning, let's say, uh, what's a good example? Um, Let's say telling a white lie, okay? And you personally feel that all lying is sinful and wrong, like me. Um... You don't have to know the whole Bible before you go to that person and bring it up. What you can do is say, can I prove my point from scripture? Do I have scripture to back me up? Then spend time, look it up, Google it, research it. And if you find in scripture that your point is not valid, then you don't bring it up. But once you have found that scripture validates how you were feeling and that this person is indeed in sin, you at least have scripture to back up your point. So that this person can see this is not you coming with your own opinions. This is something that comes from the word of God. Uh, I have a scripture here. I don't know if it's worth reading, but I'll look at it. It's 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Um, uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the point there was just, you need to be like that too. You need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, which means you need to be able to tell what is scripture saying? What instructions is it giving? How does this apply to life? And again, you don't need to know everything to be able to correct someone on one thing. You just need to know about whatever you're bringing up to that person. Uh, Point number seven, 
Am I prepared to go to my pastors or elders on this person's behalf if he refuses to listen to me? So this is when this is a, a significant sin. And um, I'm going to read the scripture that backs this up because you might think this is extreme. Uh, but Jesus in Matthew 18 speaks about how we should go about church discipline and correcting people. And I think I've mentioned this maybe last semester, but... For those who weren't there, I'll repeat it. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So Jesus is saying, if someone sins against you, go to them personally and bring it up. If they will not change their ways, you take two or three other mature neutral Christians don't like bring your posse and try and gang up on the person like take two neutral people go and bring it up again if the person persists and they won't repent or change their they won't stop sinning that's then now point seven are you willing to take this further which can be scary but it's necessary it's part of the church discipline that Jesus himself laid out so if it gets to that point where twice now you've gone to this person and they're still not um, repenting, they're still continuing in this sin, that's when you would go to, in our case, Pastor Anna and Pastor Ron, and you would say, this is what this person has done. I have done the steps laid out in Matthew 18, so now I'm bringing it here and I'm giving it over now to the church to address, and then at that point, it's out of your hands. Um, hopefully it'll never get to that point. Most of the time, if a person is teachable, um, they will eventually listen to you. Uh, they might be a little bit upset or offended, but most people who are godly will get over it at some point and listen to you. Um, especially if you've got all the points down. If you can say that you've done all seven, then you are more likely to win the person that you're speaking to. But if you violate one of the seven, the chances of you uh, upsetting this person to the point where they won't repent of what they've done is higher. All right, so those are the seven points of when to rebuke. Um, now we're going to cover how to rebuke. So there's two facets to this. There's the how, as in what we just discussed, like the methodology, first one-on-one, -on -one, then with two other people, then with the church. But I'm sure what we all really want to know is how is in, in that moment when I'm speaking to that person, how am I supposed to bring up this sin? So we're going to look at one scripture and we're going to break it down. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. And uh, I'm going to read part B. I don't know if anyone's into scripture that much that they know what that means, but... If a, if a verse is long and it says like B, it kind of means like skip the first part and start kind of in the middle. So it would be 
2 Timothy 4, verse 2b. Um, so in the middle of that verse, it says, uh, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Does anyone have anything different to reprove, rebuke, and exhort? Hands. All right. Mine says convince, rebuke, exhort, but I'm going to be using uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort. If you follow those three steps, reprove, rebuke, exhort, that is how you do it. So now we're going to go through it. What is to reprove? Reprove means to convince, to expose, to bring sin into the light, to show why something is wrong. So in this first part, this is when you come with your scripture backing, having thought and prayed about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. If you're concerned, reach out to someone who's a mentor to you, to you or someone you trust virtually and say, you don't even have to mention who you're going to say to say, I, I feel like I need to admonish this person in this sin. This is how I'm going to say it. What do you think? Like, how does this come across? Um, you don't have to, but if you're concerned, that's something you can do. Uh, I usually do that when I have to speak to like high up people in my business because apparently I just naturally sound rude all the time. So before I send an email, I usually send it to my coworker and I'm like, can you just check that I'm not coming across rude? Um, it's not exactly the same. I'm not telling my business owners that they're sinful or anything, but it's the same thing. If, you, if you're concerned about your tone, prepare what you're going to say and then check it with someone else. Like, uh, I think like Alyssa would probably be a good person because she's like so nice. So she would be a good buffer. And like Jamichael, like yesterday rebuked me, but he did it like so suave that it was like so beautifully said that even though it hurt so bad, it was like, wow, that was said so well. <laughs> and I asked him to teach me and he doesn't want to teach me how he does it. So maybe he should be leading the session because he's better at it than me. But um, if, you're, if you're a dude, he's a good one to go to for like checking your verbiage. Um, he's very creative. He has a degree in creative writing, so maybe that's why he's so good at it. Um, but so the first part, you prepare what you're going to say if you've checked all seven points, you are now going to this person calmly, gently, with love, in a private setting. Don't ever rebuke someone or reprove them in front of other people. Like, just don't do that. Um, that's horrible. No one likes their sin sprayed everywhere. It's bad enough that you're coming to them and telling them they did something wrong. They don't want everyone else to know about it, right? So... Give them some grace. This is about to be really embarrassing and hard for them. So make it as easy for them as possible um, without being unscriptural. Come to them with your scripture. State your point, And that's reprove. You have brought their sin into the light. You're showing them why it is sin. And now you've done the reprove part. Then you're going to do the rebuke part. Now, this word rebuke here, it's translated rebuke. 
but um, it's the only time that this Greek word is used by Paul ever. And the only other time the exact same Greek word is used is by Jesus. And it's when he rebuked the winds or rebuked a demon. And it was always in a sense of a command to cease and desist doing something. Um, so after you've reproved, you've pointed out the sin, brought it into the light, show them why it's wrong. You then tell them that this needs to stop. This would also be a good time for you to tell them how this sin destroys lives. If you have personal examples from you or friends or family that you can give, this, that's great. Especially if it's personal. If you can say, I struggled with the same sin at some point and this is the destruction that I brought in my life. And I'm concerned if you, if you continue in this, that this and this might be the end. So um, give them a, a command. It's not, you shall stop. Like it's a, you're not just saying, hey, you're, you're lying. And they're like, yeah. And you go, yeah, okay. Like you have to tell them like, this needs to stop. Like this is bad. You need to stop. Okay. And then the third point. Now this is, very important and this can totally change the result of your admonishment and that's exhort the word exhort means to call near to comfort to entreat and to invite so once you've done that this is a time where you're now showing this person love where you find words that are encouraging and comforting. Um, there's no formula to this. I can't tell you say this or don't say that. It could sound something like, I know how much the Lord loves you. And that's why he kept laying this on my heart because I know that he wants you to be free of this thing because it's ruining your relationship with him. It could be, I know what it's like to go through what you're going through, but I promise if you submit this to Jesus, you will overcome and I will be here to help you. If you need an accountability partner, I can be that for you. If you need prayer at any time, you can call me. Anything that is good, comforting, encouraging in this moment would be helpful. Um, if you could find some good things about the person, to say that would also be helpful. If you're telling them, you know, that they're prideful, it might help to tell them something else, but I know how much you love the Lord and it's such an example to me. And that's why it breaks my heart to see you being prideful um, because your love is such an example. So you're giving them an encouragement while you're still telling them that what they're, they're doing is wrong. Um, I'm gonna read Second uh, Corinthians, Chapter 2, uh, verse 6 to 8. And uh, before this, Paul was speaking about uh, someone in the congregation who had done, done something really bad. And he says, This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one 
be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So there comes a time after a person has been rebuked that they need that love and encouragement because if all they ever hear is that um, negative, well, in their eyes, it's going to be negativity, right? Coming from everyone around them. It might get to a point where it breaks their spirit and they won't know how to recover from it. So use your judgment and love that person and exhort them afterwards and not just right after that, but continue to do so. Obviously, there might be situations where the person reacts really badly and screams and shouts at you. Your exhortation is probably not going to do anything in that moment, but maybe you can come back in a day, in a week and give that exhortation. Or if you feel like, because I'm going to be honest, you will not die and not have one person at some stage not accept your rebuke. Like, they will respond extremely negatively towards you and you won't even get to love them because they're going to run very far away from you as fast as they can, maybe even physically. So, <laughs> or block you on Facebook, Eric says. Yeah. Um, so if you can get to the point of loving them, love them and exhort them afterwards. Otherwise, if you know that you checked off all the things we've spoken about, and they still ran. It's just kind of how it is. And that leads me to my last point is I have a section called caveats, which is like, what ifs, right? My first what, what if is what if I, um, what if I did everything right and they're still offended, upset, they take it negatively. And like I said, this is an unfortunate reality. Even when Jesus did it, some people were broken, repented, and followed him. Other people were angry, offended, walked away, tried to kill him, tried to stone him, tried to arrest him. So you're going to have people from all over the spectrum. You might have the extremes who like cry and repent. And if you don't think that's possible, I've done that. Uh, last semester, I told the story of how... Um, in the first like two to three years of me being saved, um, I was way more upfront than I am now. And I just said anything that came into my mind and I had no filter. And uh, I thought I knew everything. And if you think I'm still like that now, imagine what I was like back then. And the youth pastor took me aside one day privately, he took me into like the mother's room, which is, you know, where they have the babies in the church and stuff. There was no one in there. And he said, I haven't wanted to tell you this. I really don't want to, but the Lord keeps telling me I have to bring this up. But I really feel like that you are really prideful and you, you, you're sinning. You're you full of pride. And like in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me so heavy and I just cried like crazy, ugly cry, like mascara everywhere cry. Um, to the point where like, I don't even remember much that he said after that, but it was a crying of realizing that this was the truth and I was guilty of the sin and, and I was in that moment broken over my sin. And eventually he kind of just left me to cry there because that's literally all like, I couldn't stop crying. I was so upset 
that I'd allowed this sin to go uncaught for so long. Um, so you do get people who will do that. You'll get people who will repent but not, you know, cry and snot all over you. Um, and then you'll get the extreme on the other side, which is anger and hatred and shooting things back at you and accusing you of things and maybe telling you that you're a hypocrite. And then you might get people in the middle who might just be like, whatever, okay. And then they don't, you don't really know, okay, all right, did they take that? Did they not? I don't know how that went. You're going to get all over the spectrum. But no matter people's response, you still have to do it. You are commanded to admonish. You're commanded to teach. And if you're doing that as a Christian, you're giving people's responses to God and you're trusting him that he will deal with that person's heart. What else you can do with people who respond badly, continue to pray for them. I've had people who have responded very badly when I've done this and years later will come back to me and be like, I'm so sorry for so many years ago, you were right, but I was just couldn't see it in the moment. Or you may never hear from them again and they may hate you till the day you die. Um, also continue to love them. If you are in a situation where you still have to interact with this person a lot, if you can still like show love to them, even though you've just exposed this sin in their life, that will be a huge witness to them that you're not out to get them. Like you really had their best intentions at heart and their sin doesn't stop you from loving them. Um, the other caveat that I had was, what if I don't meet the criteria of when to admonish or rebuke? So if you go through the seven and you don't meet them, either first fix whatever one of the seven you've messed up in or like I said earlier, go to someone else who is spiritual and close to them and ask them to do it for you. Or if it's necessary, please, if it's necessary, go to a church leader to do it. Um, then right, that, that closes off um, admonishment. So in the beginning, we were speaking about Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, that Admonishing and teaching a person is methods through which they attain unto a maturity and a perfection in their faith. So in order to become a mature Christian, you need people in your life who are going to admonish and teach you. And you, as a Christian trying to help others mature, need to admonish and teach. So we've done admonish. We're going to only spend a few seconds on teaching um, because that could be a whole... Uh, semester on its own but I want to tell you that it's not enough to just point out when a person is wrong if you are in a situation where you are able to also teach them do so because point one most human beings want to know why they should or shouldn't do something and that's inherent in even children, right? If you just tell them, don't push the button, don't touch that, they're less likely to listen. than if you say, don't do this because if you do, this is what will happen. And so if you are constantly teaching those around you, 
they will see the results that will happen if they commit that sin or continue in that sin, which will then add to them not wanting to do it. Also, if you are continually teaching someone, you might have less situations where you actually have to admonish them because they themselves would have naturally learned those things. And so when they come up in their own lives, they might be able to catch it before someone else catches it. And that doesn't mean you're never going to admonish them, but a disciple who is constantly being taught will mature faster and as a result probably sin less or catch their own sin faster than someone who doesn't have any relationship with anyone and is not being taught anything except a message on Sunday. A person whose only input is one hour on a Sunday is probably going to have a lot of sin in their life and a lot of struggle and need a lot of help. But a person who's constantly being taught all the time will mature faster and catch their own sin quicker. Um, and remember, teaching is everyone's responsibility. This is not... To teach someone, you don't have to do what I'm doing. You don't have to be a leader of a small group. Teaching is explaining your faith, explaining things that are in scripture, walking a road with someone. Sometimes it's not even the things you say, it's the things you do. If I am constantly around, I'm sorry I keep using you guys as an example, but if I'm constantly around Alyssa and Jamichael and I see that their marriage is good, and I watch how they, they interact with each other, they are teaching me with their actions. Because I'll say, they have a good marriage. Look how she talks to him. Look how he treats her. Hmm, that's probably what I should do if I want a marriage like that. So your actions and your words teach someone. And it's everyone's responsibility. It doesn't mean you have to prepare sermons or lessons or study theology. As long as you are developing your own relationship with Christ, and you are sharing with others around you how you deal with sin, how you deal with hurt, how you are building yourself up in the Lord, how you are learning to pray, how you are learning to read scripture, all these things. If you are just sharing how you are developing as a Christian yourself with others, you are inadvertently teaching them, which is what you're called to do. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, there's something in that verse that I skipped. And I skipped it on purpose. Does anyone know what I skipped? I'll give you a few seconds to look at it. If you were late and you didn't hear me read it, I'm sorry. But if I read it again, I'm giving it away. There's a little thing I left out. No, not mature. I did mention uh, that teaching and um, admonishing leads to a mature Christian. There's something else that I completely ignored, didn't even mention when I read it. Is it wisdom? Yep. 
I on purpose skipped that. And side note here, very important when you read scripture to read everything it's telling you. I don't believe that there is one word in scripture that was put there by accident. I believe God picked each word very, very carefully and constructed every sentence with immense wisdom and purpose, which is why, side note of the side note, I am an extreme advocate of literal Bible translations, which means translations that translate kind of word for word and don't try and fill in the meaning, even if it kind of doesn't make sense when you read it. Um, because I want to know what did, what did God want to say? Even if it's hard for me to understand, I'd rather be confused with what God said than perfectly understand something a human said, which might not have been what God intended. Personal opinion. Um, but I deliberately left out wisdom. One, to make a point of you need to read everything the scripture says because that changes everything. If I just read, I need to admonish and teach people so they can be mature. I could do something that's actually harmful. But if I do those things in wisdom, I can't go wrong. The last point of how to admonish and when to admonish is this. Use wisdom from God. Each situation is different. You could do something that's right with one person and literally copy paste what you did with another person and it won't work. Because God knows how each person functions and what will be the thing that penetrates into their heart. So use wisdom and listen to what God is telling you to do in each situation. What works for one person will not work for another. Something could be right overall, but be wrong in a specific situation. And the reason that this scripture, out of all the verses, stood out to me from Sunday's message is that I made this mistake and I'm suffering because of it. I was teaching and I was admonishing. And honestly, I don't feel like anything I said or did was wrong scripturally. But I didn't use wisdom. And that changed everything. If I had, before I said everything I said, and this is over a long period of time, this is not a once-off thing. If I had, before every text I sent, every conversation I'd had, if I had prayed in my mind and said, Lord, give me wisdom right now. If I'd stopped and thought, there probably would have been so many things I would have never said. Not that they were wrong, but it might not have been the time. It might not have been the place. And it might not have been the exact words I needed to say. I could have constructed my sentences differently. There could have been jokes that I said that I would have left out because I didn't know how they would affect someone. There could have been tones that changed in my voice. There could have been times I shut up because in those moments I needed to shut up 
even though truth is truth, there were times where maybe just my silence was all that was needed in that exact moment. But because I didn't pray for wisdom, I may have lost someone in terms of having a relationship with them and potentially even damaged their relationship with Christ. And so that's why that scripture kept jumping out to me and why I couldn't focus on the mysteries of Christ in you and what all the other scriptures were saying because that kept jumping out to me is that I wish I'd used wisdom. And so I'm exposing my failings to you guys because I really hope that if you take away nothing from anything I said tonight, you will take away that in every situation, use wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. I think it's in James. I might be wrong, but there's a scripture that says, if there's anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives Cassandra version abundantly. I can't remember how the verse ends, but gives a lot. <laughs> um, so ask him and he will give it. And that's all I have. So it's... Uh, do prayer requests and then I'll close in prayer. Oh, does anyone, sorry, does anyone have questions or comments or concerns or personal testimonies? Okay, just speak loud because your mic is a little soft sometimes. Are you talking about like you're literally either face to face with this person or on a call where you have to respond like right away? That would be where my ultimate point was where use wisdom. Like there's always time for a quick silent prayer in your head to God. And just like, Lord, am I supposed to say something? If I am, give me peace. And if not, either let something happen right now that, you know, someone walks in and I can't have a conversation or their phone rings. Or let me just really feel and rest like, I shouldn't do this right now. Um, and if you feel not to do it in that moment, when you're alone with God, bring it up again and say, is this something that you want me to address, but that just wasn't the moment? Or is this something that's better left for someone else to address? Um, I also want to make a point of, if you ask God for peace in a moment like that, don't confuse nerves with not having peace. Like if you're not a person who's used to like addressing sin or being confrontational, you're obviously like your heart might start palpitating and you might get nervous, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have peace about it. I can't describe to you what peace feels like even in the face of nerves, 
That's something you have to learn through practice and through getting to know the Spirit of God. There are times where I'm literally terrified about what I have to do, but I still underneath it feel this peace and I know that this is what God wants me to do. But I would almost say that when there is no peace, it's not just nerves. It's a, there's an underlying, dirty, yucky, uncomfortable feeling that's under the surface. And that feeling kind of lets me know, uh uh-uh, I have to not do what I'm about to do, not say what I'm about to say. But you need to separate nerves. Nerves does not mean you don't have peace. Nerves is just human, adrenaline, body functions. Like, don't let that take away your peace. Any other questions? Jamichael, yeah? And so in times of you feeling like, well, I I don't know if I have the time to go through all these variables to get to this point. And there's something that's going on. There's something about this person, this situation that makes me feel led to pursue them in some form or fashion. Like you literally saying that makes the scenario so much more easier. It lets the other person understand that like, Oh, this is hard for, for them too to get out of their comfort zone, to come out of their shell. They don't even know me. And to have this conversation that may be a little difficult for the both of us. So like being able to put yourself out there in the sense of like this this is kinda hard and I didn't know how to really go about it, but like there's there's something about you that I just felt the need to like pursue there's a conversation that I felt like we need to have like doing that automatically like brings down some walls so that's my thing yeah and I think I mean it might be situational but if you really feel like you need to talk to that person but you don't know if you can do it right then maybe convey that maybe say I feel very strongly that I need to have a conversation with you, but I, I need, I just need some time to think about how to phrase this. And I need to, I need to pray about this. Can we make a time right now where we can get together and talk, like put it on our calendars right now, because I really want to, I want to talk to you. And, and, and if they've been talking about it, then you can be specific and like, you're bringing up this thing and I really want to address it, but I just, I want to use wisdom and, and I want to pray about it first. So could you give me a day or two? And we can regroup, you know, if, if that's an option, if you actually can regroup with them, you know, if you feel urgency in your spirit, I would say more than likely that's from God to say, okay, you have to do it now. But if you just feel a deep conviction and concern for this person, um, and you don't know the words to say right then, and you're worried you make a mistake, try see if you can make a time to, to speak to them soon don't like leave it forever but soon but for enough time for you to gather your thoughts and and to pray um in addition to you shooting up a, a quick prayer i think it's very easy most of the time to discern our own emotion and so in addition to a prayer ask yourself quickly do i am i do i love this person do i care for them you know like 
where's this coming from? Am I like offended or angry or am I concerned? You know, and that's a good quick check for you to be like, okay, what is my heart in this matter? Is that a, a 70% good enough answer, Jordan? <laughs> Do you not know them, like, at all? In this scenario, no. I mean, if you don't know someone and the Lord lays something on your heart to say, I would say, say it. Like, that is probably, you know, the uh, gift of knowledge of the Holy Spirit flowing through you in that moment. So, yeah. Because then you don't have any base to hate that person or you know, to be judgmental or whatever, like that is just a random inkling of the Holy Spirit telling you to do something. So in that sense, I would say do it. I think I would probably encourage you that if it's possible to build a relationship with them, do it because then you can initiate that conversation and check in with them and say, Hey, this thing that I brought up, like, how are you doing? Do you need any help? Do you need any prayer? Uh, because if someone is legitimately trying to, to conquer something, that's not like something that needs to be brought up to leadership. Like you the, the context for bringing something to leadership is a person who continues in sin. Like they, they won't even admit it's wrong. They have no inkling in them to change or to repent. They are just continuing in sin, right? But if a person wants help, if they want to change, if they're struggling with it, if they know it's wrong, that's different. Um, and it also depends on the sin. Like if it's a lighter sin and that's something that you can help with, like, um, no, let, let's say, let's say the person is lazy. Okay. That's not something that's extreme or, you know, going to be hurtful to them or other people. Um, that's something that you can help with say, Hey, uh, I'm a morning person. Uh, what if I call you every morning, you know, or what if we set a to-do list that starts with only three things you have to do a day and I check in at intervals and so try to see if there's something you can do to walk a road with them, um, be their accountability partner. However, if it's a, a bigger sin that's way out of your ballpark and they want help, say, hey, do you mind if I try find someone who can help you? Like if you, if they're struggling with a drug addiction or pornography addiction, like that's when you should then go to maybe a leader, not to like get them in trouble, but to say, hey, 
I have this person who's struggling. Do you know someone who can offer counseling or do you have resources I can give to this person? Um, but it, it's, a, it's going to leadership in a very different sense. You're not going to like get them kicked out the church. You're going because you, it's beyond your ability to help them in that moment. Yeah, can I add on to that yeah. for a second? Because um, I, I have a, a, an example, um, something like I can relate to. So um, before I moved out to Tennessee like a year and a half ago, I was still living out in California. And during that time, um, I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment, I was struggling with sexual sin. And it's something that I've always struggled with, and there's times where years or months where I've done really good with it and during that time I was really struggling with it um and of course working in a hotel was not helping with that um and so there was a time right literally like three days before I moved I had a situation where I thought I was pregnant <laughs> um and so I was afraid and ashamed to admit it to my pastor who is from California as well. She moved up here to Tennessee, and I finally told her. And she had said, I already know. The Lord told me, and she's like, you need to repent. So I had that accountability. I told her about it. Um, and from that point, um, because I made it right with the Lord, I repented. Um, God made a way for me to move down to Tennessee. And um, since then, I've not struggled with it. I mean, it I struggle with it, but I have accountability. So anytime I go out with a guy friend or any group of friends, especially when there's guys, I always let her know, this is where I am, this is who I'm with, and I hold her accountable. I hold myself accountable, and I let her know. Um, even when I'm away on vacations, I said, hey, this is where I'm staying, and there's a possibility that this guy could show back up, she knows. So I do have that accountability. Um, and I let her know ASAP. So that's just a personal something that I went through. Um, and I still, as a single woman wanting my future husband, I still, on a day-to-day -day basis, hold myself accountable with my pastor um, with that topic because it's something I'm still dealing with. Um, and she sometimes she feels like to call and pray with me. Sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes it's just a, a text message. Um, but there is also a relationship there with her. So I don't know if that helps, but that was just something that was relatable. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to jump off on that point and say, I don't think many people realize how important accountability is both if you're the person struggling with the sin and if you are a believer who could help someone else. So many believers think, oh, well, I can't preach or I can't lead a class or I can't sing in worship team. But we have such a lack of discipleship in the church because you have 10 people, if you're lucky, in the whole church who are trying to disciple people and there's just too many people to disciple. And so everyone just gets a little bit of your time. And then, you know, you don't have enough time to build relationship. And when there's not deep relationship, there's less chance of people being vulnerable. And if people are less vulnerable, there's less chance of them confessing sin. And if they don't confess sin, 
then you can't keep them accountable and you can't bear their burdens with them. And that is an instruction given to us to bear one another's burdens. I find it very interesting that Jesus says that when it comes to our burdens, he says we should give our burdens to him. But when it comes to other people's burdens, he says to take other people's burdens up. Bear one another's burdens. So give your burdens to Christ, but then look around you and say, who around me can I help? Who is struggling that I can do something about? You know, and like, you don't have to be an expert psychologist to help someone. Like, there's so many sins we're all dealing with. Like, and it's all different for every single person, but it really helps if someone else cares enough to keep you accountable and to check in on you. And it's so valuable and it's something that everyone can do. I'll give you, uh, I'll talk to you in a second, Drew. It's something that everyone can do. And if everyone did it, the load wouldn't be on those 10 people in the church that are trying to do it for everyone. And then everyone would just have a few people that they take responsibility for. And then they can really grow and connect with those people and really form intimacy and really form accountability with those people. And that's so valuable. So I want to encourage you, find people you can do that for. Like, it doesn't have to be something extreme. Like, literally, I promise you that your Christian friends around you that you've been friends with for years, they probably are dealing with stuff they haven't even told you about. And if you just have those difficult conversations and maybe honestly start with yourself confess your problems to someone else and ask for help say i really would like someone to keep me accountable and that might be like a uh the the there's a word i'm looking for but like the the jumping off point for that person to then be like wow this person is being vulnerable with me and telling me their sin maybe i can share that too and when someone else does share any struggle any sin with you Take initiative in that moment to say, how can I help you? When people in this group give prayer requests, if there's something you feel, that's something maybe I could help that person with. Like, offer your help. Like, don't just say, I'll pray. Like, praying is great and powerful and prayer is the most important thing we can do. But Christ chose us to bear one another's burden. So pray and help someone. Like, we can all do something. So Find homework for the week. Find at least one burden of someone else that you can help carry. Drew, sorry for taking long. So let me know if I put your neck or anything. But I know that y'all haven't known me long. And I've gotten to know each and every one of you over the last month or so, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, now, and so you know, I'm very, I love you all, you're amazing, and um, I love hearing each of you talk. But I want to speak to Jordan, that I'm being vulnerable now, because uh, it really, like, what she's saying really speaks to me. Uh, I've never had someone reach out to me and speak up and tell me if I'm sinning or be that voice of guidance. I've never had that in my life. 
And there's been many times through my um, teenage years and in college where I wish someone would have spoken up. I wish someone would have pulled me to the side and said, you know, this is what I see and what's happening. So I challenge you not to be afraid because that person may need it. Thanks, Drew. true guys for me I was always in a position where I was always teaching in some church in some capacity and I tried my best to help others and it got to a point where it was hard for me to tell anyone else if I was sinning or struggling because I was trying to help so many people that if I thought they saw any weakness in me or any sin in me that they would be like, well, I don't need your help. Like, you're obviously a sinner and just as bad as everyone else. So I used to keep so much to myself and that was just so bad. And I wish that, I also wish that someone else had, had done more than just say they'll pray for me. Because I mean, sometimes if I did mention something, it would be like, oh, well, I'll pray. And I appreciate the prayers, but like, when I'm like on the verge of committing a sin, what's helpful to me is knowing that I can take someone and say, it's happening, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to handle this, and that person can call me and we can talk it through, or they can give me advice, or pray with me on the phone, or something, just so, like sin does its work in darkness, and when other people know that you're sinning, it's in the light. And any sin that's brought in the light will be exposed and extinguished at some point. Because sin brings shame, right? And we don't want to air our shame in front of other people. So if Deanna calls me every day and checks up on a specific sin and I have to confess to her that I did it, I'm less likely to do it because I know she's going to call me and she's going to check whether I did it. And it's sad to me that like the world even understands this concept. That's why like AA and Narcotics Anonymous, they understand this concept. You have a person who's your sponsor and they check in on you and they, they, they make sure that you're fine. And if you are going to drink and you shouldn't, you call them and then they walk you through that moment. But like the church is just kind of like, I'll pray for you. Like, yes, pray. Praying is important, but walk with me. Help me. Like, I need you. We're a body. We're supposed to all be one body working together. And if I'm just a finger on my own, I'm not going to be very functional most of the time. I need the rest of you to help me, you know. And so it's so important, guys. And it, it's, it might seem so small to you what you're doing, but you have no idea how much you could impact someone by just bearing their burdens and helping them, finding small ways to help them. You know, like... I mean, Alyssa, I won't expose you and it because it wasn't like a sin, but she mentioned one thing in group one time. She's like, oh, pray for this. I wish I was better at this. So I'm like, well, I'm not maybe the best at that thing, but maybe I could text her every now and then and remind her that she needs to do this thing. And maybe it was useless and maybe it didn't help her, but I felt like I am capable of it. Like, it's really not that difficult for me to 
send her a text. So let me just do it once in a while. And maybe it wasn't helpful, but take the initiative to do something. Like try. It's really not that difficult. Don't uh, overcomplicate it. Sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing. Any other questions, comments, concerns, rebukes? Montana, you've been very quiet. I'm going to pick on you to talk. Oh, great. No, I've been writing notes. Um, <laughs> I guess I kind of have a question. It's kind of like semi-related. But if you like have a new believer that wants to talk to you and they're kind of like asking you questions but you don't feel fully equipped to be the one to chat with them about that but there's no one else in their life that's a believer... What, like, what do you do? I would say to them that whatever their question or concern is, is a good question and a valid concern. And I would ask them if they would give me a little bit of time to get them a good answer. And then I would read as much as I could online, um, watch as many sermons as I can on the topic. Like, I'm a big researcher, so I will research as much as I can. And then I will then take back what I found and, and you know, speak that to that person if it's something that is still hard for me to articulate even though I understand it I might then recommend some of the material I found and say I came across this one sermon that deals with it you know I recommend you listen to it um, sometimes I've bought people books that I've read in the past that they ask those questions and I'm like well I know the answer kind of but I can't I can't like I can't articulate it because it's like way out my scope, you know? So I'll like buy them the book and be like, if you really want the answers, like I promise you this one has them, like it's really good. So if you can do it yourself, do the research and bring it to them. Otherwise, uh, recommend online stuff that they can look into. Okay, great, thank you. Okay. That's all we'll do, prayer requests. <music> Thank you.